Hello and welcome to Asian Scripted. I'm Emily and this is the US Asia Institute's summer podcast series where we cover key stories of the day with diverse speakers with first-hand knowledge of Asia. This summer's podcast series will focus on topics related to the Association of Southeast Asian Nations or ASEAN, which is composed of 10 member states including Brunei, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, the Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. Our guest on this episode of Asian Scripted is Mark Manantan. Mr. Manantan is the current director of cybersecurity and critical technologies at Pacific Forum in Honolulu, Hawaii. At the forum, he currently leads the U.S. technology and security partnerships with Japan, Australia, Taiwan, and South Korea, as well as the digital ASEAN initiative that focuses on cyber capacity building, artificial intelligence, foreign interference, and space diplomacy. Recently, he co-authored a report with the Asia Society Policy Institute alongside Alina Noor entitled Raising Standards, Data and Artificial Intelligence in Southeast Asia. In addition, Mr. Manantan is a non-resident fellow at the Center for Southeast Asian Studies, National Shang-Chi University, Taiwan, and formerly a research consultant at the Asia Society Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. He has held visiting fellowships at the Japan Foundation, the Center for Rulemaking Strategies at Tama University in Tokyo, and the East-West Center in Washington, D.C. Before that, he was a media, public relations, and advertising executive for Procter & Gamble, Wells Fargo, Aboites Equity Ventures, and UNICEF. Before we begin the episode, please be reminded that the USAGIT Institute is a nonpartisan, non-advocacy organization with no policy agenda. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official position of the USAGIT Institute. With that being said, let's move on to the discussion with Mr. Manantan. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you, Mr. Manantan, for taking the time to join us today. I first wanted to start by providing some context to our topic for today, which is the tech landscape within ASEAN. So first, how would you describe the current digital landscape in Southeast Asia? Although ASEAN is a generally heterogeneous region, are there any common trends that you've observed across your work from Pacific Forum? Thank you so much for this opportunity and glad to be here with you and uh, sort of share some of the work that we've been doing. I think a couple of trends is really on the horizon in Southeast Asia. We see uh, a lot of tech excitement in the region as far as digital transformation is concerned. And we see here uh, the sort of um, rise of artificial intelligence as a foundational technology that is seen to sort of advance the, the region's digital economy. And we see a lot of efforts such as um, frameworks and master plans and sort of roadmaps that are being produced by some of the digitally mature countries in the region, such as Singapore, of course, um, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam, and to some extent countries such as the Philippines. I think another sort of a trend that I see as well, aside from the sort of AI sort of excitement, uh, digital transformation trend, is also this growing notion of um, geopolitics and cybersecurity. And here we see a lot of, again, consistently the presence of advanced persistent, persistent threat actors um, that are conducting a lot of cyber espionage activities that, of course, are related to a lot of the geopolitical um, development 
um, with, re- with regard to the South China Sea, and also I think increasingly so in terms of um, a potential Taiwan contingency. I think the last uh, sort of trend uh, that I see in, in the region is also the increasing question about um, cybercrime. I know that uh, there's been a lot of work in terms of looking into the activities of advanced persistent threat actors on uh, conducting um, a cyber espionage or um, cyber attacks against critical national infrastructure. But a big um, sort of concern in the region is uh, the rise of cyber-enabled crimes from ransomware, from online harassment, and also uh, to um, doxing of files and also a lot of the scams that we see um, concerning uh, e-commerce and other um, uh, digital finance uh, mechanisms that are on the on the rise in the region. Yeah, thank you so much. That actually provided a really great framework into kind of our discussion today. Um, so I guess first I wanted to talk about the rise of AI. You mentioned that there was a lot of tech excitement, but I, w- I guess I was just wondering what have the kind of like AI policies been so far within Southeast Asia? That's right. I think we see a lot of um, different frameworks that are very much um, anchored towards using artificial intelligence as a tool for um, boosting or as a tool for uh, really uh, leveraging uh, the opportunities uh, of the digital economy. And like I said, I think if we look at the, uh, the frameworks, the national AI strategies that have gone out, over the past couple of years speaks volumes about the region's excitement in terms of how we can use these technologies to recover from the post-COVID-19 pandemic. And rightfully so, a lot of the industries as well, particularly, for example, manufacturing, healthcare, um, and also uh, um, other industries, uh, even up to um, government services, are uh, really much excited in using artificial intelligence. So there's that in terms of the adoption of artificial artificial intelligence and the promulgation of AI frameworks, but also this growing concern, I think, about to what end is really artificial intelligence going to serve Southeast Asia? And here, I think the critical question lies with regard to how are Southeast Asian countries contributing to the bigger debate of AI guardrails and AI normative frameworks? And we see an appetite, at least in Southeast Asia, that there has been a growing conversation at the ASEAN level to sort of set up guardrails with AI uh, new governance, given the sort of um, new developments uh, with uh, generative AI and sort of the potential implications it could pose to social cohesion, I think, in particular and um, in the region. And so there has been sort of news about the ASEAN Digital Ministers meeting convening over the past couple of months, allegedly sort of thinking about how to put forward AI guardrails. And of course, Singapore being the most technological advanced country in the in the region is at the forefront, particularly the Singapore's Ministry for Communication Information is really sort of um, spearheading some of these discussions. And um, I think the last sort of question really, as we go into this conversation of AI transformation and AI normative frameworks is also what are the missing perspectives that are not being brought up in the in the larger discussion? Of course, AI with all the hype and also the excitement surrounding it, we all know that there is a greater digital divide in the region. And AI, as we all know by now, is very much susceptible to bias and errors. And so how will AI also sort of flipping the coin 
bridge that digital divide or even exacerbate um, existing social inequities. Thank you so much for that response. I was particularly interested in what you said about kind of these discussions on AI governance. I was wondering if that would, if we would see that in a regional framework or is it mainly focused on a national framework right now? Yeah, uh, as mentioned, I think um, in conversation with some of the colleagues we have in the region, um, uh, there have been a lot of uh, in- engagements between, I think, ASEAN and some of the um, potential ex- uh, AI experts that are really much immersed in this sort of um, trend of um, setting up uh, AI normative frameworks or AI guardrails. I think the conversation is really happening everywhere at this mm-hmm. point. And uh um, and compared to, I think, uh, the European Union, uh, there has been, which has more of a consolidated and centralized approach. I think ASEAN is getting there. And this is what I offer, you know, to all your listeners to this podcast and also to all our um, colleagues at the ASEAN Secretariat and also to the ASEAN Digital Ministers meeting that there is really a, a, a wealth of knowledge that resides in universities and think tanks such as us at the Pacific Forum and also our colleagues at UNESCO in Bangkok have been working heavily on really um, raising and amplifying concerns in artificial intelligence. And I think uh, it, it's sort of uh, uh, incumbent upon also for ASEAN to bring these stakeholders all together and really leverage the knowledge and expertise that we have to bring forth AI guardrails or normative framework that are very much rooted into the local context and also the priorities um, of the region rather than just really looking into, again, um, the sort of what are, it's good to compare and and contrast what's happening in our neighbors or in our um, peers in Europe and also here in the United States. But I think inherently, I believe that there's just so much reservoir of talent and expertise in the region that we could utilize to also think about our own normative framework on AI If you um, uh, going forward with this um, increasing conversation on guardrails and um, uh, the implications of generative AI. I think that falls in really well with your report um, with the Asia Society Policy Institute entitled Raising Standards, Data and Artificial Intelligence in Southeast Asia. Something that I noticed was you used the term socio-technical in your report, which is, I quote, the development and application of data-driven technologies, including AI, must be rooted in the interaction between people, along with their perspectives and knowledge systems and technology. Um, and my question is, why is it necessary for context-dependent and locally manufactured AI technology to be implemented within ASEAN? And what examples can you give from your report that highlight this key oversight? Well, thank you so much for um, emphasizing that recording. I would also like to acknowledge that that report was really spearheaded and the main sort of main architect of that report is Ms. Elena Noor, who has really been one of the pioneer voices in terms of cybersecurity and critical technologies in the region. And I'm just really honored um, for me to take um, to partake in that in that report and in um, in whatever way I can. So your question about the social technical um, aspect, I think this speaks about the human machine interaction that we always talk about. That whatever um, AI developers and data analysts and coders do in in sort of um, their computers or in, in conducting machine learning or algorithmic training that has real world implications. And I think the social technical aspect is at the heart of it is really this notion or this um, mechanism for feedback. 
And at the end of the day, an algorithm doesn't really just reside in, in our cell phones, in our mobile, sorry, smartphones or our computers, but they have real world implications. And as far as Southeast Asia's AI uh, trend of frameworks and also innovation is concerned, it's very easy for us, again, like I've been saying, uh, for us to look at our peers in Silicon Valley or in Shenzhen or any other parts of the world. But truly, when we look at the five countries' uh, case studies um, in this particular report, we saw that most of the earlier innovations in artificial intelligence are really driven by the local needs um, and also uh, sort of demands from the community. So you asked me about a specific example. So for example, in Thailand, I think one of the earlier sectors that AR really figured prominently is agriculture. And we see that because um, agriculture is very much a big part of um, Thailand's um, economy. And of course, you know, this is, this is something that a lot of, uh, even myself, when I was doing the research on Thailand, I was really quite surprised that they are ahead of the curve in terms of thinking about artificial intelligence decades ago, even when AI, I think, is still very much uh, a, a big buzzword in here in, in the United States and much less so in the developing economies. And so another aspect as well of that sort of localized uh, context approach to artificial intelligence in terms of social technical approaches, how Singapore is uh, approaching this need for a sort of balanced approach between human machine interaction. And in Singapore, there has been a lot of consultation that has been done in terms of really encouraging a lot of the communities to partake or participate or provide feedback in terms of the digital transformation initiatives that the government has been doing. And when we were looking at the report, I think uh, at the time, uh, it was also the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, there's been a lot of... Um, I think community-driven councils that are being organized around Singapore to really reevaluate if the current digital transformation initiative and city-state is uh, addressing not just the urgent needs of, of the community, but also are is it equitable? Is it providing the same opportunities um, to all individuals and communities across the social strata? Mm -hmm. I think as far as as far as other um, other social uh, sort of local context um, application of artificial intelligence, just to also give you some, some of the potential drawbacks is for example, in, in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. I think there is a growing sort of um, drive to incorporate AI as part of their judiciary. And I think this is also same in Thailand. And again, that's where you see how, for example, in Thailand, um, we had this interview where a lot of the res some of the respondents actually said that they would rather trust an AI-enabled technology for their judicial concerns rather than asking the judicial system to sort of provide solutions. And there, you see how the sort of AI technological determinism is becoming embedded in our society not understanding that over-reliance on AI technologies is also very dangerous because a lot of these AI-enabled technologies are data-driven data and they're, they're data-dependent. They're dependent on the databases upon which the algorithms are trained. And if so, the data, if the data that was used or were used to train the algorithms are not really represent, rep, representative of the spectrum of the Thai society, mm -hmm. I think you lend yourself into bias, into error, and also to overrepresentation or underrepresentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that response. I feel like you gave a very kind of balanced view of 
um, the kind of rise of AI within Southeast Asia. Um, I guess my follow-up question to that was, I was wondering if ASEAN's population is necessarily ready for the rise in these technologies. How digitally literate are the respective like countries um, and what challenges do you pose um, as kind of more of these AI related companies arise? I think Southeast Asia is a very young demographic that's that's just totally plugged in and tech savvy. And there has been a lot of reports saying that we are mobile ready, but at the same time, it presents that that sort of um, paradox that you you know you, you there's you have your very high concentration of people who are very technically technologically wired in cosmopolitan cities and places, but also um, people who are very much disconnected from the grid, if you want to call it that way, and in sort of remote areas and spaces. I think what I see in Southeast Asia is really um, moving forward with. Um, the AI sort of or technology trend is the question of adequate skills. Mm-hmm. I guess um, a lot of fears are surrounding, you know, and sometimes there are overblown fears about AI is it will take jobs. And in Southeast Asia, I think um, there is really a big disparity in terms of STEM training, um, particularly among graduates. Like you have Singapore, which have a very effective STEM system. But you also have other countries at the at the sort of bottom end of the spectrum, where um, science, to, you know, science, math, and engineering are uh, quality of those types of education are really not up to up to par in terms of um, what is required really for uh, for these students, um, future students, uh, with the skills that they need. So there is excitement. There is really a positive affinity with technology. But the question of do we have the necessary tools to really understand um, technology and implement it? And when I say necessary tools or skills, these are not just about the math and engineering aspects, but also our arts and humanities. I think there should be a balanced approach in terms of looking at technology that goes back to your question, social technical approach, that how we can apply critical thinking and creativity in looking at these technologies. Thank you for that. I guess my follow-up question to that would be, I know that in your introduction, you mentioned the rise in cybercrime um, and cyber attacks. And so I was just wondering how that has affected Southeast Asia as a whole. Um, and has the Pacific Forum done anything in terms of improving digital literacy and preparing populations for these attacks? Yeah, currently under under my portfolio at the critical uh, cybersecurity and critical technologies program, we're implementing the Cyber ASEAN um, Capacity Building Initiative. Mm-hmm. So the Cyber ASEAN Capacity Building Initiative is a um, development and capacity building initiative aiming to raise the cyber competency and resiliency of Southeast Asia, working with four pilot countries, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, and Vietnam, to develop a cyber capacity assessment framework. And in Cyber ASEAN, we're conducting a lot of uh, four country consultations. And we just recently wrapped up Manila and, and Hanoi. And I think over the coming months, we're going, we'll be heading to Jakarta and um, Kuala Lumpur. So as far as Cyber ASEAN is concerned, we are aiming to provide uh, sort of support to the implementation of the ASEAN cybersecurity strategy or framework, um, sort of really convening multi-stakeholder uh, and also through policy-relevant research to understand the region's 
um, adoption of international technical standards to understand um, how countries in the region are conducting information sharing and incident response. And lastly, how countries in the region are thinking about making an inclusive environment uh, in cybersecurity where, like I said, um, not just uh, those who are digitally wired, but also paying attention to giving equal opportunities to undeserving com undeserved communities, minority groups, uh, women and children. So I hope that by building the cyber assessment framework that is the cyber ASEAN framework, we just don't influence um, ASEAN or countries at the national level, but also uh, really uh, put into practice multi-stakeholder engagement and reinforce public-private um, partnerships. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting initiative. I'm really excited for that. Um, I guess my last question would be, uh, how do you anticipate the rise of AI, particularly generative AI, impacting the region's geopolitics? You already mentioned um, the kind of cybersecurity issues involved with the South China Sea. So I was wondering how ASEAN's positionality in the broader context of the great power competition between China and the U.S., how that would all kind of be impacted by AI. Yeah, I guess in terms of AI-enabled technologies and its application to um, cybersecurity, of course, for sure, AI-enabled um, cyber attacks are far more difficult to detect. And I think it's going to be key in terms of uh, a lot of the cyber threat actors capitalizing on AI to also attack other AI uh, systems in terms of adversarial AI, I'll call it that way, poisoning data, data training models and inverting uh, training models. In terms of the geopolitics, of course, that's one in terms of how advanced persistent threat actors would continue to use AI-enabled offensive capabilities to conduct stealthier, stealthier and sort of more um, sophisticated cyber attacks when uh, conducting cyber espionage. Uh, in terms of the generative AI specifically, I think the main concern really is in terms of disinformation and misinformation and how in, in particular, I think in Southeast Asia, given the the diversity of um, types of, of societies and also um, uh, how we approach um, social cohesion, I think generative AI is really going to sort of impact um, democratic elections, if you, you know, um, in some countries there. And of course, we've seen in the past reports, um, attempts, for example, in our country, in the Philippines, um, China's use of not just advanced persistent threat actors, allegedly, but also um, disinformation and misinformation campaigns in support of candidates that are pro-China, um, in a sense, in terms of the South China Sea issue. And so I think this is where generative AI really poses a lot of concerns among Southeast Asian countries as far as the social cohesion and democratic processes in concern, is our concern. And I think the last would be, again, stepping back a little bit and, and where is Southeast Asia in the greater debate of AI regulations and not just in the region, but in the whole. And we see the rise of the EU consolidating its AI regulations here in the United States. We know that um, just a couple of days ago, I think the White House has came up with this um, statement uh, urging um, big companies, Google and you know, um, OpenAI and Microsoft to really come up with um, uh, sort of a manifesto on responsible AI. My, my, for me, um, moving the question, your question from a threat-centric approach to a more of a normative approach is 
normative context is really where are we in Southeast Asia? How are we thinking about these issues that doesn't leave us just being reactive to it, but also being proactive in terms of really, really setting the guardrails on the potential implications of um, generative AI. And, and that's a question, that's a challenge that I think we in the Pacific Forum and all of us here in this community um, uh, have to wrestle with um, over the next uh, couple of years. And I'd be happy, again, to work with all um, our stakeholders and partners in ASEAN, but also here in the U.S., and also with other like-minded um, countries and partners, Japan, Australia, um, South Korea, and also our colleagues at the EU, and also China and Russia. I think at the end of the day, India as well. Um, these are all, it's, 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 a, it's a challenge um, that we, all of us need to wrestle with. Yeah, thank you so much, Mr. Manantan. Those are all the questions I have for you today. And we could obviously have a, have a much longer conversation about this. It's definitely a very interesting and relevant topic, but thank you so much for your time and for speaking with me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Asia Inscripted. You can find the US Asia Institute on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. This and all of the US Asia Institute's podcasts are made possible in part by the support from our sponsors SANS, FedEx, AIG, ConocoPhillips, Fairfield Maxwell, Walmart, and others. <laughs>